Welcome, everyone. So this is the inaugural episode of the City's First podcast, hosted by Assist to Be. My name is Scott Shepard, and I am the Chief Product and Marketing Officer with Assist to Be. And I'm very pleased and excited to uh, feature our very first guest speaker today uh, for our inaugural episode, which is basically the world-famous uh, Carol Schweiger in the public transport world. Uh, Carol Schweiger is president of Schweiger Consulting. She has over 40 years of experience in intelligent transport systems, uh, public transit, as well as transportation technologies throughout the United States and even on a global scale. And she's very active in many different professional associations such as ITS America and other societies at a global level. So Carol, we're really excited to have you here today and do a deep dive and just talk about everything related to, let's say this kind of post-COVID transit recovery and clearing up the mess where we're at, making sense of a lot of this um, really fragmented landscape we're navigating in and just making transit stronger. So thank you once again for um, joining us. And we know that we're going to have a really great conversation in the next uh, 30, 40 minutes. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Scott. Um, we're talking about my favorite topic, not only post-COVID, but just generally how we all view mobility these days. Things are still rapidly changing, and there are a lot of really fantastic things going on in our industry, but I think we need to sort of keep our eyes focused on the prize, which are things that we've discussed a lot in the past, like very basic things like safety, for example. But I'm so excited to be here. Thank you again for having me. Thank you, Carol. Yes. So um, really quickly, I'll just kind of go over our, our agenda today, some of the topics we're going to cover, and then we'll wrap it up with some um, closing remarks and a conclusion. So we'll talk about uh, the first topic is uh, getting back to basics in transit. And then we'll talk about on-demand and microtransit. We'll also cover kind of the current state of the industry in mobility as a service. And then finally, our last question or topic is uh, innovations in AI machine learning, uh, leveraging uh, big data for public transit. So with that, we'll just kind of get things started. And the first kind of topic or question that I'll post to you, Carol, and then we can just have a little bit of a discussion here is really basic. Um, and it comes down to just what you'd mentioned in terms of uh, public safety. I think that's, that's a good um, segue. And the topic is, how can we get public transit back to basics and essentially putting safety and operations first? And what I mean by that is, how can we move past a lot of the hype that we've seen over the last four or five years uh, before and then during COVID uh, in terms of innovations and technology, and now just focused on reinforcing the uh, primary role of public transit in equity and sustainability. So, um, you know, what are your what are your thoughts on that, Carol? So, when I think about this topic, um, I I live in the Boston area, and there have been a lot of discussions here because of some significant safety issues in transit. And number one, I think that as we got further and further into COVID, 
and a lot of people were working from home, there were still those people that couldn't work from home, um, the essential workers. And there were some really good developments for them taking transit, like being able to tell them how crowded a subway car is. Should I wait for the next train to come? Or how crowded the bus is. But the other thing that did get highlighted as we are now starting to come out of that part of COVID, and COVID is a little less prevalent than it was, we're now going back and looking at things like all of the deferred maintenance. Um, many transit agencies not only around the country, but around the world, deferred maintenance on their systems for a wide variety of reasons before COVID and during COVID. And it really began to affect safety. And safety is number one. So without safety, all of the other innovations really, to me, take a back seat. The innovations are important. We need to keep thinking about how we can better serve the public with our transit systems. But if they're not safe, then it doesn't do us any good. So I think we need to really dial the calendar back a bit and say, how can we get maintenance back up to where it should be, where we're not having safety issues? And then we'll feel a little more comfortable about the innovations that we're coming up with. Yeah. Uh, and how can we also leverage uh, stimulus funding, such as the first round late last year with the Infrastructure Act from the Biden administration, and now um, with the second wave from the Inflation Reduction Act, which unfortunately does not have enough allocation for public transit, quite honestly. Right. It's a lot for electrification of fleets, which is great. But there's not a lot in there for uh, really addressing this uh, safety and maintenance backlog. So um, for public transit agencies to at least try and um, uh, position their uh, grant funding from the USDOT and other sources to try and um, position uh, safety first is, is really important, I think. But also, like you had mentioned, getting our priorities straight, because, again, there's been such you know, a, a, a critical mass of interest in a lot of uh, mobility pilot programs, such as universal basic mobility, such as, um, you know, other types of schemes of fare free or low free, uh, uh, low fare public transit, etc. And these are really um, innovative and um, strategic programs that um, certainly focus on uh, mobility equity, which is, uh, of course, uh, I would say um, uh, alleviating and addressing, you know, seven, eight decades of, uh, you know, uh, under underserved communities in the United States. But if we still cannot get our uh, safety and maintenance right, then it's really going to be hard to deliver that because then we can't simply even serve enough um, frequency and reliability for the systems that we currently uh, operate. Right. And you touched on a really important point um, that there's a huge amount of discussion in the industry about going fare free. Yeah. And that seems to be a somewhat of a, 
a polarizing topic these days. But I think the critical thing is you can make anything free. Mm-hmm. But if the service doesn't go where people need to go. Or if it's too infrequent, it if it's every it hour, is, if you have to wait an hour, but you have a free free bus ride, then does it really matter? <laughs> it, exactly. Having it fear free is not going to do anything. Yeah, with unless, an hour headways. <laughs> unless you go where people need to go at yes. the frequency they need to go there. So, yeah. so there are, um, I think... A lot of things that, again, there's sort of second tier because safety is at the top that I think we really need to think more about mm-hmm. rather than reacting to the hype when some people are saying things have to be absolutely fear free for equity. There are other ways to uh, to do that. Maybe you have several low fare programs. Mm-hmm for example. But anyway, it's it's um we are in this interesting time exactly. where again going back to basics is really what we should be thinking about and then we can get into as the um, foundation. Continuing. And then we layer in these other initiatives in our exactly. mobility toolbox and then deliver a menu of options that uh relate to the proper context, which leads us into yeah. Our next topic, a topic that's near and dear to my heart, and for better ways than not, um, which is microtransit. So the North American audience will love to use the term microtransit, but on my side of the pond here in Europe, I'm calling, I'm speaking to everyone here from Lisbon, Portugal. Uh, we call it DRT here, demand response transit. It's the same thing, on-demand um, shuttle-based transit, kind of, well, maybe sort of like the picture behind you, but not, but app-based solutions. Um, so let's talk about this for a moment because um, there is this is another initiative that receives quite a bit of uh, interest and hype, and um, it, it, it's it, it's a certain um, solution that uh, could be uh, layered into this kind of uh, menu of options that um, transit agencies can deploy. But I guess really the question comes down to. Um, this uh, this this binary effect, microtransit versus fixed route, or microtransit and fixed route. What is the right mix for cities and suburbs? Because we keep thinking now, well, uh, we need to innovate. We need to move in the future. I even read an article recently saying that uh, fixed route and bus service is simply old-fashioned. Like, we need to innovate. We need to think of app solutions because that's the wave of the future. And not to throw to use the American term to throw out the baby with the bathwater here, because app-based solutions are certainly quite um, uh, interesting in the right context. But what are your opinions in terms of how we can uh, meet in the middle and have the best service for the right um, users and the right passengers? So I hate to kind of say that it depends um, to answer the question about what's the right mix mm-hmm. between microtransit and fixed route, but, but it really does. And here's the way that I think about it. So as you mentioned, microtransit here in the US, it really is demand response and it's actually better demand response than we typically give people because for us, it's usually advanced reservations, Dial not true. Yeah. 
demand response. No, it's not. But yeah. if we talk about microtransit, which has been deployed around the country, there's a couple of fundamental differences here between that and fixed route. I'm of the opinion that fixed route still does serve a purpose, again, if it's in the right place at the right frequency. But there is a considerable difference in not only the operating costs mm -hmm. of fixed route and microtransit, but also, in my opinion, the sustainability on the microtransit side. And let me explain why, why I'm saying that. So typically in the U.S., microtransit is being deployed in uh, using sort of a zonal approach. Mm -hmm. And and that's for all the right reasons in my book, because you're not going to deploy microtransit where there is no demand. And then you'll end up with an extremely expensive service that isn't taking people where they need to go when mm -hmm. they need to go. Right. But we need to really make sure that it is sustainable from a cost perspective and it doesn't uh, sort of get degraded into the cost for our typical paratransit services, which tend to be the most expensive transit service that we provide to people because we don't have a very high um, ridership like passengers per hour or passengers per mile in the paratransit world. So I think we need to develop those zones with care. Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing we need to do is a lot of agencies are piloting microtransit in specific zones. And we have to be well aware that the cost of piloting one of those services is typically a lot lower than if we were to actually deploy it over the longer term. And I get very concerned about when we run microtransit pilots, they are very successful from a ridership perspective and actually making an impact on the community. But are we going to see that over the longer term? And do we have the funding to make it a sustainable service? So those are a little of my concerns because at the beginning of demand response or paratransit service, what we typically call advanced reservation type service, we didn't think about how high the cost of that could possibly be. Yes. And how it's not as sustainable, perhaps, than some other models. So that's that's just my thinking about that. Yeah. Um uh, what is the uh, sustainability from an operations perspective? What's the sustainability from a fiscal perspective? And uh, really something we also didn't talk about, which is interesting, and, and here's an example I'll share in Europe, is what is sustainable from a political perspective? What is the political will 
to support these programs. For example, um, in Berlin, uh, the on-demand service, uh, I think it's called Beryl Koenig, was just shut down not even a few weeks ago. And it was hailed as a success. They had pretty reasonable, moderate to high level ridership. And there was a real strong, um, you know, uh, uh, consumer support for that. But it did not have the political support given uh, the multitude of government agencies that were involved, including the public transport operator in Germany and Berlin to uh, support such a service. So again, this is this segue from how do we get from pilot to long-term multi-year contractual operations? And how do we bridge that gap? Because I see right now, um, or at least myself, I, there's a lot of pilot fatigue in yes. that we have these six month to two year uh, pilot uh, project projects that are funded by USFTA or other agencies to deploy these on-demand services for private transit tech vendors, which is great. And they uh, present a good uh, customer success story. They present uh, a very interesting ridership and business case, you know, um, usually um, more positive than not, but they still fail to kind of abridge the gap in terms of the uh, fiscal sustainability and the political will that can support these and how um, these services are going to fit into the uh, CFO's office, the treasury, you know, because again, we're going to start thinking about how are we going to be allocating our OPEX budgets in year three, year four? Do we have an answer for that? I don't think we do yet. And are we going to start, you know, cutting, uh, you know, um, fixed route services for uh, certain lines that may have been deemed as underperforming uh, mm -hmm. due to political concerns, but in reality, maybe with higher frequency and higher um, uh, quality, maybe those fixed route lines can sustain themselves and we don't need on-demand services other than in areas that are very precise from a zonal perspective. Let's say, for example, uh, addressing low to medium density suburban transit deserts that never had access to start. So looking at uh, wider geographic coverage to uh, fix those um, uh, uh, disconnections. And then two, um, another a really excellent use case for microtransit or DRT, which I think should be exploited even further, which is quite um, uh, strong. The business case here in Europe is feeder services. So yes. uh, neighborhood-based feeder services that, that basically feed passengers into uh, higher frequency, um, uh, higher demand uh, uh, fixed route uh, lines. So I think that if we double down on what works better and, and really, I, I'd say be more, um, uh, let's, let's say, uh, focused on context, then we don't, it doesn't have to be a zero sum game or where we have to replace fixed route with on demand. And we basically uh, just call bus service as old fashioned. These are asking the wrong questions. And I think that it's posing the wrong information to public transit agencies and policymakers that need to look at the five, 10, you know, 20 year horizon right. and beyond the pilot project, beyond the, the sales pitches. Exactly. That's it. You know, so yep. that was my, <laughs> my take on it, but I agree with yours as well, too. So I think we're on the same page. Okay. Yep. Um, so kind of moving along here, uh, let's see. Um, so the next topic I'd like to talk about is 
mobility as a service. We haven't heard much about that recently. I haven't, but uh, I'd like to get your take on that too. I can give you my perspective, but just the general topic or question that I'll just tee this off with you is uh, for 2022 now, because we're in a different uh, landscape now than we were even last year or the year before. Um, and it's taken some twists and turns, but the question is, what is the current state of the industry in mass mobility as a service? And where are we at right now in 2022? Because there's been a lot of crickets re- lately, a lot, a lot of uh, quietness in mobility as a service. So I'd like to get your take on it, see where we're at and where do you think we might be going? Well, it this is obviously one of my very favorite topics. Yeah, to talk <laughs> that's about. why I selected it. <laughs> and um, so... I'll give you my take, but I'll I'll also credit some other folks. Um, I was lucky enough to be at the 2022 ITS European Congress in Toulouse mm-hmm. at the end of May, beginning of June. And the final plenary session of that conference is, was entitled, Moss, Why Aren't We There Yet? Mm -hmm. I thought it was an ideal question to ask because of what you just said. Some crickets out there, we're not hearing as much. We have gone through pilot fatigue on mass on a big scale. Even more than microtransit, the mass. Even more than microtransit, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to credit some of what I'm going to say to the speakers in that plenary because I think it framed the why aren't we there yet really well, and it speaks to where are we in 2022. Mm -hmm. So one opinion, and I tend to agree with it for a variety of reasons. You know, when you look at the uh, technology hype curve, Mm -hmm. and you know, there's, there's a term out there, there's a concept out there, and everybody jumps on the bandwagon right away Without really knowing what it is. Yeah, (laughs) you haven't looked at the details yet. (laughs) They're just excited about something. They're excited about it. It sounds like the the neatest thing since sliced bread. And it's just going to be the savior of everything. Well, guess what? In my humble opinion, that was Moss when the concept was introduced in 2014. So, Mm -hmm. So the hype was built up because there were these really, really big business expectations Mm -hmm. that this was going to become a big commercial enterprise and it was going to result in a significant sort of marketplace from a monetary perspective. Mm -hmm. And um, one of my dear colleagues in Helsinki really speaks to this issue very well. The problem is that we are kind of at the bottom of that hype curve. The trough of disillusion, they call it. The the trough. The trough. But the good news, we're coming out of the trough Mm -hmm. because now we understand much more about what potentially is going to be needed to make this work. So that's, that's one of my thoughts. Mm-hmm. Another one is something that I've been saying for years, and I'm I'm glad there are at least a few other people that agree with me. When I've always looked at 
the European, particularly the European market in ITS for public transport. It's been um, a market that is inundated over the years with journey planning systems, yes. all yes. for the right reasons. I'm not saying that was a bad thing, but journey planning systems have really dominated the marketplace. But in reality, there are other things driving the market and it's a significant change in user expectations. If you asked potential MOS users or travelers what they thought even five years ago, it would be different today because our expectations is we're going to get an answer to our itinerary question about going between point A and point B instantaneously. Like, we don't want to wait for anything. The second thing that's driving this are the budgets of the authorities and the venture capital that is available to put into sort of the, the real mobility as a service that will best assist travelers and, and help them make kind of the right choices. And then the other thing is the regulatory environment with mobility as a service is um, confusing is probably not the right word, but it's not very well developed yet. Uh, developing regulations for MAS is is a bit of a challenge. We've seen that. And um, all of a sudden, the industry has had to find ways of bringing all the services together, but being able to regulate, maybe not with a heavy hand, but with enough that's going to make it a helpful service. The other thing is there are features within mobility as a service that we haven't done as well at yet. Um, one of those is integrated fare payment. We're getting better and better at it, but typically within MOS, that's one of the hardest things to do. And then finally, um, and I'll let it go at that, is that we need to again, go back to basics in terms of looking at the entire mobility environment that Moz works in. And by that, I mean accessible services, equitable services, inclusive services. We have to start at user needs. And a number of the systems back at the beginning of Moz we didn't ask people what they wanted. We just developed systems. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now no, we're getting back. Not, now we're finally getting back to, okay, let me understand traveler behavior and build that into a MOS system so that I'll, I'm, I'm actually designing something that I know people will use and they will respond to. So- 
That's that's great. And you hit upon like five or six different points here. So that was really um, uh, that was really good. And just to add to that, uh, I think this shift from much more of a business to consumer uh, market driven laissez faire mass offer, which started with, you know, some of the folks that you mentioned, maybe in the Nordics and Finland back in 2014, and how it's evolved to not necessarily a nationalized model, but something that has more of a, a government influence that can at least subsidize and promote more sustainable um, mobility outcomes is one of the overarching trends that we're seeing mass taken, um, you know, now into the future where in terms of this question of where are we at with mass. And then finally, um, uh, also getting back to basics, maybe it's not just mass. Maybe there are iterations or one-offs of mass that really deliver more value to consumers. And maybe that's all we need. Maybe all we do need is a journey planner with uh, deep linking to micromobility. Maybe we don't need the full, like they called a few years ago, the Amazon of transportation or the, the one app or super app to rule them all. Maybe we need these derivative consumer experiences because that's what uh, people prefer. So we have to have a, a, a range of solutions that um, check off all the boxes basically. And I think that's what we're seeing, not necessarily a fragmented market, but a market that is starting to uh, narrow down to something that makes a bit more uh, business sense, policy sense, and um, I would say, uh, you know, uh, operational sense. So that that's kind of what what I see happening right now. Um, okay, so we'll uh, we have time for one more quick question, then we'll wrap it up here. So the last question is or topic is around um, kind of uh, future innovations, future innovations in public transit. What I mean by that is this broad topic of uh, artificial intelligence, AI and machine learning, um, kind of what we do here at assist to be so the company that, that I represent. Uh, but specifically, the use case is around data, because many, let's say, I'm not talking about New York MTA, I'm probably not even talking about MBTA um, in your backyard of Boston or LA Metro, but the small to mid-size U.S., Canadian, European uh, public transit agencies that have a lot of data collection. They're sitting on different silos and repositories in, let's say, uh, GIS systems, in business intelligence systems, Excel files, napkins, <laughs> whatever you call exactly. it. So there's a lot of data. And there's data from hardware and software. There's data from passenger counting systems. There's data from ticketing systems. There's data from third-party systems, such as um, uh, traffic monitoring and other uh, data collection sources. So every agency has um, some view into their historical passenger demand and uh, ridership patterns. But what many of them, I'm not saying all, but many of them more at that small to mid-sized level struggle with what to do with that data. And there tends to be now an opportunity to kind of I would say leverage this big um, tent, shall we say, this big tent of AI machine learning to find a specific use case around uh, taking data and optimizing that to come up with better uh, predictions using machine learning to understand future travel patterns and to plan for um, uh, network expansion. So just really quickly, what are your thoughts on how AI machine learning could help move the needle in that in, in that domain? Well, I think one key thing that you sort of alluded to 
maybe without saying it exactly, is how do you get the best value out of what's being collected? And like you said, particularly for the the small to medium size agencies. They already have it. They've already collected it. They've collected it. What do they do with it? Machine learning and artificial intelligence are going to help them get the best value from that data. One particular thing that that I've thought a lot about, maybe the application of AI and machine learning, is just looking at things like what we used to call the, the daily commute. If we look at data from the way people commute, it's probably changed forever because of COVID. That's right. There is no... The normal seasonality um, has completely been disrupted permanently now. Permanently. So how can we use AI machine learning to predict in the future with that? And and that's where I'm going mm-hmm. is that now you have these patterns of travel that don't look anything like they looked like pre-COVID. You've got people that are working from home, you know, two days a week, going into the office three days. Um, You've got people that when they choose what days to work from home, maybe they'll choose Mondays and Fridays. I mean, the Monday through Friday commute just doesn't look the same. It's over now. We're not going back. But machine learning is going to help us understand those patterns much better so that when we design or redesign our services to better serve the public, we'll have a better understanding of that and we'll be staying away from what in the past, um, and you alluded to it earlier, are sort of the low performing routes. We won't have to wait six months or a year to understand where we should be placing service and what type of service should it be? Fixed should job, on be, demand, exactly. What's the right Exactly. Message? That's right. Should it be microtransit in a zone? Mm-hmm. Uh, should it be traditional fixed route? Should it be something else? And making these iterative decisions using big data, of course. Exactly. And that's that's what I think the real you know value is. Um, in in looking at the way things are being are are really changing all the time, and I think at what at at the point that we are better at dealing with things like COVID, where it's probably going to be like the flu, and we're going to know how to deal with it, we're still going to have to figure out what those new travel patterns are. And that's going to help us understand people's behavior and try to match, better match the services to people's needs. That's it. Yeah. Just to provide a better service that's more passenger focused and that makes public transit more uh, resilient and more uh, relevant for the future in this post-COVID world. So with that, um, I think we'll uh, wrap it up here. We're kind of running out of time, but thank you so much, Carol. It was 
always a pleasure. I, I love our conversations and joint podcasts and webinars. And I'm really, we're, we're very honored here at Assist TV to host you at our inaugural episode. Um, so everyone, uh, you can um, uh, find us, um, City's First Podcast, on uh, multiple uh, channels such as YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and Google. And we'll uh, be sharing the links through uh, social media. And just in a few seconds, Carol, where can people find you? So they can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter um, very easily. And my email address is pretty easy too. It's carol at techfortransit as one word.com. Great. Thanks, Carol, so much. We're going to stop the recording and uh, we look forward to uh, sharing this with your audience. Uh, thanks very much, everyone. Thank you, Scott.